the LexisNexis Emerging Issues Law Community Podcast. Presentations and interviews with leading attorneys and industry professionals. On this edition, William A. Mogell on the U.S. Court of Appeals for the District of Columbia Circuit's opinion in Interstate Natural Gas Association of America versus the Federal Energy Regulatory Commission. The opinions expressed by guests interviewed on LexisNexis legal podcasts do not necessarily reflect those of Reed Elsevier Incorporated, LexisNexis, subsidiary companies, shareholders, employees, or customers, and should not be considered legal advice. William A. Mogell focuses his practice on energy law. He has extensive experience with federal and state issues affecting the electric and natural gas industries. He regularly represents clients before the Federal Energy Regulatory Commission, state regulatory commissions, and courts. Mr. Mogal founded and currently serves as Editor-in-Chief Emeritus of the Energy Law Journal. He is also a director of the Foundation of the Energy Law Journal, a co-editor of Energy Law and Transactions, and the editor of Regulation of the Gas Industry, both published by LexisNexis Matthew Bender. He's also authored an emerging issues analysis of the Interstate Natural Gas Association of America versus FERC case, also available from LexisNexis. Mr. Mogell, as always, it's great to have you with us. Appreciate your time. Thank you for being part of this LexisNexis legal podcast. I'm happy to do this, uh, Steve. Talking about the D.C. Circuit's decision in the Interstate Natural Gas Association of America case from August 2010, which upheld FERC's orders permitting different ceiling prices for releases of short-term capacity on interstate natural gas pipelines. How did this case come about, and what does this mean? Well, I think the case is, uh, is a significant case, and particularly so significant today when um, there is a shortfall of demand for natural gas. The case came about when the commission was trying to incent efficient use of capacity on interstate natural gas pipelines and noted that there was significant unused firm capacity as opposed to interruptible, obviously, uh, capacity on these pipelines. And the commission decided to see if they could encourage the more efficient use of pipeline capacity by allowing the sh by allowing sh shippers to release their capacity at rates that were negotiated as opposed to uh, rates that were fixed uh, uh, under the just and reasonable standard. Uh, and they limited it to a short-term capacity. I think what's significant is the commission understanding the market and the fact that the court recognized that this was a sort of a, a little tweak, shall we say, of regulatory policy and supported the commission uh, on it. You think this was the appropriate route for the court to, uh, to take? Yeah, I, I think so. I think that the court understands, particularly the D.C. Circuit, which gets a lot of the FERC cases, understands that the Commission has significant expertise in looking at markets and transactions by pipelines, and um, had embarked many years ago, starting around 1985, in restructuring the interstate gas pipeline industry. So it, the gas pipelines over time have transformed themselves from merchants, which bought gas at the wellhead, transported it to markets, and then resold it to transportation companies. And the commission initiated that in the intent to create competitive environments. So you have many more sellers in the marketplace and giving consumers an opportunity, um, large consumers an opportunity and distribution companies to shop for gas and get the best possible prices. And this is just a furtherance of that. And I think the court 
because they've looked at these kinds of cases and they've had the, the restructuring cases in various uh, iterations come up to them over the years, have said, well, if the commission wants to do this for a short term and limited to um, uh, one year in this case, the capacity releases, that probably makes some sense. What would you say are the uh, commercial implications of the court's ruling? I, I think the implications are, are, are this, especially in today's market environment where natural gas prices are pretty much at an all-time low for the last several years. It's there as of October 14th. Gas prices, I think, are $3.70 at the wellhead, which is very, very low. And the reasons for, the, uh, for that are several, and this case, I think, will help solve some of the issues arising. The reasons for these lower prices, at least in my view, are, are one, the economy is still soft. Two, we've had warmer than normal weather through most of the United States, and that affected the natural gas load in summers, which is used for generating electricity. There's been a freeze of some sort. Freeze is probably not the right word, but a uh, on drilling in the Gulf. And then a big impact has been the onset of shale gas that is coming into the market close to market centers uh, that is pressing down on the price of, of natural gas. So what this means, if you're a natural gas producer, and say you're in Oklahoma, and you've committed to 50 units of capacity on a gas pipeline, and the demand for your product has gone down to, say, 25 units, this gives you an opportunity to sell or release the 25 units or portions of that that you're not using and generate some revenue. So I think it makes some sense. And if someone has at, needs access to the pipeline, they can use it. So the commercial implications are that in the short term, uh, these transactions um, uh, make a whole lot of sense given what's happening to the gas markets today. Could the panel have done anything differently in this case, you think? Yeah, I mean, they could have done a lot of things differently, and they could have rejected the commission's notions because they felt it might be uh, giving a competitive preference to shippers vis-a-vis the pipelines, uh, but they didn't. And I think the court decided this correctly because of the short-term nature of what's involved here. This is not a forever kind of thing. These are one-year releases, and um, I think it makes some sense, but they could have done something differently and said, no, everybody should be on the same footing. You will note in the case that the court recognizes that the pipelines have certain inherent advantages over uh, shippers in that they, um, uh, the pipelines can negotiate rates, and uh, that they felt was an advantage that the shippers didn't have because the pipelines could have done this themselves anyway. So I think they were trying to level the playing field, at least in their view, and I think they've done that a, a bit. You talked about the state of the market and, and the industry. What about uh, the deregulation uh, of it? Well, the natural gas industry is not fully deregulated, uh, and there are segments of the gas industry that are deregulated, at least the way I use the word regulation. At the wellhead, natural gas prices are not regulated by a pricing. They're regulated for lots of things like safety and et cetera, et cetera, by the states. And the gas pipelines are still regulated because their charges for transportation are subject to review by the Federal uh, Energy Regulatory Commission. And lastly, the entities that distribute gas, depending on where you live, are regulated by state regulatory commissions. So there is still a significant amount of regulation in, in the natural gas industry. It's different than it used to be. And I think the biggest one is the fact that uh, the two biggest ones are that 
the producers are not regulated in terms of wellhead prices. And then the pipelines, as I mentioned earlier in this interview, um, are no longer merchants. So there has been a lifting off of regulation, but there's still significant regulation that could take you and I hours to talk about, about the mechanics of capacity release, how that's done. You know, on the gas pipelines, uh, there are significant compliance issues if there are affiliates involved, marketing affiliates. So there still is a fairly large web of regulation, though people seem to think that the gas industry is deregulated. The major thing, of course, is the price of gas at the wellhead. And the $3.70 I think I used in this interview is what I was talking about. It's not the delivered price to a customer uh, from uh, gas that was produced in the southwest state up to New York City. Might there be any changes in those regulations in the foreseeable future? Uh, That's a hard question uh, because a lot of the impetus for changes in terms of the natural gas industry comes from the Congress and not from the Commission. The Commission is is limited to what they can do by statute, whereas the Congress has probably, and I've been doing this work for a long time, has probably had an energy bill before them for Every year I've been doing this work, and they have one now, as I understand it. But the last time they affected the the natural gas industry is when they passed the statute in 2005, the Energy Policy Act of 05, which was five years ago. And in terms of legislation in this area to affect changes, um, five years is a relatively short time. I think things are generally working well. Uh, probably from a producer's standpoint, what's not working well is the the downward pressure on wellhead prices, probably from a consumer standpoint, uh, things are, are okay because it's stabilizing uh, gas prices. Yeah, there may be some other things Congress is focusing on these days, too. Yeah, Congress looks at a lot of different issues, and energy is always an, an, an issue. Um, you know, electricity is a big issue before the you know, electric issues, smart grid issues, those kinds of things are big issues because electricity is, is, and then you have climate change issues that are, uh, and carbon footprint. I mean, one of the reasons that natural gas is a popular fuel, besides it being solely within the United States, is that it has a relatively small carbon footprint. And of course, there's always been a strong impetus to incent uh, use of natural gas in the generation of electricity. And that's something Congress is probably looking at. And they have various things and cap and trade and et cetera, et cetera, to see if that we can reduce carbon footprint in the U.S. Mr. Mogel, it's always nice to have you with us to talk about these issues and to talk about this particular case. Thank you very much for your time and being part of this LexisNexis legal podcast. Thank you for having me, Steve. Thank you for listening to this LexisNexis legal podcast. Visit the LexisNexis communities at www.lexisnexis.com community. The LexisNexis Emerging Issues Law Community Podcast, copyright 2010 by LexisNexis, a division of Reed Elsevier Incorporated. LexisNexis, I'm Steve Bursler. Thanks for listening.